telling stories from the EGA Clubhouse. So I'm Louise Barnes. I'm chairperson of the EGA Education Committee, and I'm CEO of Ear Candy Dubbing in South Africa. And today I want to welcome Scott McCarthy, who is head of dubbing at DreamWorks Animation and also the vice president of the EGA. Welcome. Hi, welcome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me to this conversation. Well, I'm really looking forward to it because we're going to be talking about um, dubbing for distribution today. And um, I think it's going to be an interesting one because I think the general, um, not the general, I think there can be a, a perception around dubbing for distribution. I know that my mind always goes to kind of being at a large content market where distributors are always looking to do the very best deal, often to the, at the detriment of the localization company. But that's not your context at all. So we really excited. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation and and see where it goes because I think that the model that that really is the one that we need to all aspire to is the one that you know that's similar to what DreamWorks does. So. Um, well, and, yeah. and if I can jump in there, because I feel like some of this too, and let me know, you know, which direction you want to take the conversation, but some of it too can be, you know, considerations that filmmakers need to keep in mind when they're making the product and, you know, Absolutely. early on in the filmmaking uh, stages. So, um, yeah, I mean, this, this is, this is a conversation I'm uh, very excited about. So. so, so am I. And I think that that really is the, is the route that I want to take on it. Um, because I think that it's so important for the filmmaker to know exactly what it is and what steps that they can take at the outset in order to retain control over their creative product, you know, throughout so that they know what's going to end up, um, you know, on a screen um, for a foreign language audience. So, and, yeah. and for and forgive me because I'm jumping in before you even asked your first question, but you know <laughs> it it also gets to something that I wrestle with and I try to make sure I'm always respectful of when I'm working with filmmakers on the, uh, at DreamWorks, which is you don't want the tail wagging the dog, you know, like yes. I need to let filmmakers make the version, the story, the the product, the the art that they want to make. You know, and it's my job on the dubbing side to kind of find ways to localize that and make it authentic to the countries it's going to go in. But there are things they can do to kind of help that a little bit. And so yes. I, a lot of this is about education and it's like making sure filmmakers understand, you know, what kind of considerations they should make. What should they be thinking about? How should they be thinking about this product from a global perspective, not just for a U.S. audience or whatever your, your first run partner is? Um, so that's kind of the, the challenge you have. You're trying to like insert yourself, but at the same time, you don't want to tie a filmmaker's hands behind their back. Completely. Well, I think let's start there. Um, when you roll out a title, what does your involvement look like? Our involvement starts with a collaboration at the very beginning with the filmmaking team. Um, we bring in all the relevant players that from the 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 domestic music team, the domestic uh, casting teams to the executives in charge, the line producers, you know, everyone who has, you know, these you know, makes these creative decisions that impact the, the work that we do on the dubbing side. We get them all in a room and it's specifically many times just to talk about dubbing and to make sure mm. that they're thinking about dubbing early on. And it's a luxury that we have being an in-house dub team at, at DreamWorks. And I think that 
you know, when people talk about or the industry talks about the importance or the benefits of having in-house teams, like case in point right here, it's, it gives you that line of communication directly to the filmmaking team. So you're collaborating early on and you're not trying to fix things or do workarounds after it's too late, after something's already been recorded. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that luxury is a, I mean, that is, it's a gift (laughs) and, uh, and it's, it makes my job a lot easier. And it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to collaborate with filmmakers in that way. And I think maybe to answer your question, um, you know, Will Brown Hernandez, who is our, you've actually interviewed him on another podcast. You know, he, uh, he provided me some of these questions that they asked him and maybe this is kind of a good framework. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. So we kind of have like these standard questions that we ask and and they really get to the heart of kind of the, the considerations that we want Mm -hmm. filmmakers to, to consider, you know, we, we want to know, you know, whose character arcs drive the season. Um, Are there any characters that undergo a transformation that say affects their voice? For example, they grow up or they gain like a Mm -hmm. super strength. Um, are there any characters we should expect to leave in the m and like animal, you know, sound effects or human generated sound effects versus, you know, computer generated sound effects? Um, any characters with accents, whether real or fake? Any characters that speak foreign languages? Are there any characters with uh, uh, speech affectations like a lisp or something like that? And then are there any non-binary or LGBTQ plus um, characters as well, because that, especially on the translation side, it's something that we have to be very respectful of. And there's a lot of challenges in trying to, um, especially, you know, I I think of non-binary characters and we can get into this, uh, you know, you're you're working with languages that often don't have a lot of non-binary words. They don't, you know, every pronoun has a gender associated to it. And so it becomes a challenge to find a way to to honor, you know, that character and and what the Mm. intent is. Yeah, and it it does, you know, I think when you can start out and start asking those questions right out out the gate, it just changes the whole creative process um, and enables a far more authentic dubbed to happen at the end of the day for into whichever language it's going and and we get into these conversations and they dive into music and they dive into you know much deeper into the casting side as well and they they dive much more into the stories but you know some of you know those questions i was rattling off like those right off the bat you know every time we start asking those the filmmakers are like oh i've never i've never thought about that or never thought about how that could impact what you're doing and it just when you see like their minds kind of open up in that way and and you know, you know, they, 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 they start to grasp the importance of, of what it is we're trying to do. And, you know, the type mm. of the global audience we're trying to reach, it's uh, it's a really neat thing. Yeah. And, 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 you know, on the opposite side of the spectrum, I mean, I deal in languages often that don't have gender associated. So, you know, you can, so, so how do you then tackle that? And, and when, when storylines go in a direction that the audience sometimes just, they have no cultural context. How do you treat those? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're dealing with um, languages oftentimes that, you know, especially in, and again, just to go back to like the non-binary, you know, mm. um, conversation, it's, it's something where, you know, every noun has a pre-assigned gender to it. And so, you know, there are, you know, languages are evolving and there are, yes 
aspects of the language and how they are treating and honoring and respecting this community that, you know, aren't official aspects that, you know, it's not in their Oxford dictionary, you know, yes. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it shows the, the, the evolution of a language. And so you have to be tapped into the local market and, and be working with them hand in hand to be able to make, you know, to be sure that you right are, decisions. yeah, making the right decisions and, and, and approaching it from a level of respect. And and I think, and you mentioned this in, when we, we chatted a bit before, um, while we were organizing this podcast, collaboration is the key. Uh, and I think that, you know, that is really what ensures that it all works out. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, and again, because we have that that line of communication, we have that, yes. that, that level of collaboration, we're, we have to make some decisions creatively on the dubbing side that take it a little bit a little bit of a different direction from the intent, the original intent, but we're limited by, you know, all sorts of aspects, everything from, you know, the timing to lip sync to, you know, to the language itself. So when we do have to kind of make these leaps and make some creative choices for us to kind of go back to the filmmakers to say, Hey, you know, if it's something that's very uh, a sensitive or delicate topic, like we can say, this is how we're going to try to treat it. I mean, obviously, we're going to take a lot of cues from our local market because they know mm-hmm. their market better than anyone else. But we can also look at it from a creative point of view and go back to filmmakers and say, hey, do you have any concerns with this? And here's the context. And here's why. And here's what the local market is saying. And then for them to be a part of that decision, it's I know that's that's the one of the things I get, I think, the most excited about with my job. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. It, it, it's something I, I think, you know, as a as a localization company that makes it, it just would make the hugest amount of difference to the creative process, just having that contact and that communication. So let me ask you a little bit about um, other things that filmmakers need to consider to consider early on. Um, you know, where their show will end up, what platform is that something that they need to think about, and and why does it make a difference? If they have the luxury, yes. <laughs> um, yes. Sometimes you're making these shows and you don't know where they're going to be sold. And so, you know, you you don't want to, you know, I don't know, it, it, it's tough to make these considerations because you don't know where it's going to end up. But the reality mm-hmm. is if it does end up on an OTT, a streaming platform, you know, there's going to be, how do I say it? It's like they, they're, they can push the limits a little bit more as far as how progressive you are and the type of stories that you do and, and how things are, are even localized. Where if you're a broadcast client, if, if your company sells it to a broadcaster, you know, they're, they have to abide by much more strict mm-hmm. um, censorship laws and a lot more regulations and rules. And just, you know, there's things that they just, I've had in co- entire episodes just completely cut out of the season because yeah. of censorship rules. And, you know, in the, in the past, you know, Netflix or uh, Amazon or pick your major streaming pa- part, you know, platforms, mm-hmm. even before you say an HBO Max and Disney Plus and, yep. and these, you know, the, where we're at today. But when we were, you know, when when the, the streamers were were first out there, these laws didn't apply to them. Like they could get away, yeah. not say, I don't want to say get away with it, but they, they had a little bit more leniency because there was this gray area as far as what they are. They're not a broadcaster per se. So they would mm-hmm. argue, we don't have to follow those same requirements and we can push that envelope a little bit more creatively in what we're trying to do. You know, and I think since then, and now where we're at today with so many streaming partners, like the others I've named, you know, 
you know, these laws have they've gone back and rewritten them to make sure it's very called out what you know who has to follow what and who falls under what categories but mm-hmm. um certainly at the time if you were making it for a ott platform um there's a lot more you could do and it's and again you don't want to change the story if you're a filmmaker you don't want to change the story you're making but you want to think about it you want to you want to you want to have that a consideration because at the end of the day any filmmaker, their goal is to get this in front of as many, you know, audience members as they can. You know, you want as many Absolutely. people to consume this art that you've created. And sometimes just thinking things through with that perspective, you know, it, it's it's not that it's going to dramatically change the story you were going to make, but, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's helpful to keep that top of mind every time you're making a creative decision. Yeah. And, and what about other things? I mean, what about casting what about songs you know are there too few songs are there too many songs what what are the what are those other things that they need to think about that can be helpful in that process yeah i think oh my gosh i could do a whole podcast on every one of those you just rattled off um (laughs) let let me try to be respectful of the time we have here and i think i think if you look at let's take casting real quick um you know casting is and, and I'm approaching this from more of an animation standpoint, so bear with me, because, mm-hmm. you know, given I work for DreamWorks Animation, that's, kind of, that. that's kind of my wheelhouse. <laughs> what you do. Um, you know, but if if you have a casting decision by by the domestic filmmaking team to put a, a kid's voice behind that character on screen, whether it's an ogre, a panda, whatever it is, you know, and you have to keep in mind that your budget went up because you cast kids, you know, that they're... Mm-hmm. They, you have a lot more limitations as far as timing and it adds to mm-hmm. schedules and budgets and it, it costs more to, to have kids in your production. It's the same thing on the dubbing side. So, you know, it's one of those things where if you're going to make a lot of those choices and, and have a, 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 a cast that's, that has a lot of kids in there, mm-hmm. you got to make sure that you're putting money aside to make sure that the international budget is accommodated the same way that you had to accommodate the domestic budget. Um, I think of choices creatively that filmmakers make around, you know, uh, like accents is probably a good one where, yeah. you know, you're, we're, we're guilty of, of stereotypes in, you know, the shows that we make. I think of mm-hmm. uh, a lot of U.S. content or, you know, and, and, and the accents that are associated to a villain, you know, think the of your terrible Afrikaans accent that is always applied to a vil- villain, oh, the, South our... Af- the South African villain. It's yeah. Just it's so typecast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you, or, you know, you got some Eastern European and just there's yes. all these stereotypes that, that, that we're guilty of in, in, mm. in, you know, us pop culture and the type of shows and movies that we make. And whether you're talking about diehards or, you know, pick your, pick your, 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 your <laughs> film. I mean, honestly, the list, we could go on with the list, but um, I think that you have to keep in mind that that, that stereotype, let's call it that, that the perception that audiences have that, that, that accent is villainous. That's mm. not the same way that it's perceived in another country. And so, you know, if you haven't in your story as a filmmaker, if you didn't build a whole storyline and, and, and rooted your character from said country where you've talked about that they came from here, you know, if you do, then I'm locked into that accent. I've got to make yes. sure I'm casting it with that accent now as well on the, on the dubbing side. But if you just had this accent just kind of randomly assigned to this character without a backstory, well, then that gives me a little bit more leverage and freedom to kind of make some creative choices in the casting that we do. So we can kind of find a different accent maybe for a different country that 
represents that villain type character and sound and, mm. and, and um, you know, it's about making it as, as it's about making the dub as authentic as we can for Absolutely. every individual country and every language that we're, we're dubbing it into. And so, um, you know, again, I don't want, I don't want the, the tail to wag the dog here. I don't want to tell filmmakers like, Hey, you, you know, don't build out that character because you're going to lock me into some, some given accent, but yeah. you know, is there an, is there, you know, these are the type of considerations we're talking about in the way that we want filmmakers to think that like, do you need to build out that story? Does that yes. character need to be rooted in said country? Or does that, does that really add to the broader story that you're trying to tell? If not, it does give us more flexibility to make it more authentic on the international side in all the dubs that we're going to do. So, um, I mean, one, one example, and, um, and then I, I think another way, if I can take it is if I can answer, to that from a translation point of view as well because i think this is yeah. another thing that that maybe gets um it's underappreciated i i look you know i think about annalisa I rinaldi agree. uh she annalisa oversees our translations division at at dreamworks and we set aside an entire division just for translations and to be working with our partner studios on translation specifically because it's so important and it's like absolutely the, it's almost the most important thing you you couldn't you can do um you know i think about I mean, maybe it's a bad, it's a, it's a very simple example, but a character walks in the room and the, his family's there and he has an uncle and he says, you know, good morning, uncle. How that word uncle is translated has a lot to do with what side of the family they're on. You know, yes. I think about Asia Pacific cultures and languages like Japanese or Vietnamese, like you kind of have to know what side of the family it's from to properly yes. translate it. Now we can take some liberties and just kind of, if it's not talked about in the show they don't they don't ever assign a side of the family yeah. that character is from like we can just make a choice but I've also seen it where you know that character comes back in a subsequent episode or season and all of a sudden that character is built out and it's from a different side of the family than we had chosen for them and so yes. you know it's one of those things where again it's not that filmmakers need to kind of build out every kind of you know one-off character here or there but if you have a team like my team that's an in-house team and they come to you like be open to kind of expanding on that because a lot of times filmmakers don't even know where which characters are going to break out in subsequent seasons yes. and so um it's, it's just one of those considerations where something as simple as just someone walking in the room and saying the word uncle you almost have to kind of think through like a deeper storyline in what you're making because it has an impact on how it's translated. And, and if you're going to truly honor that translation in that language, you have to think about these things. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, th I want to come back to songs because I know that I popped that in there. Um, but I think let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, 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 the the, about about culture, um, and I think you gave me an example of Kung Fu Panda, and and um, you know the fact that it is it is so deeply rooted in Chinese culture in this particular instance, and so is it valuable in working with um, you know language and cultural advisors or consultants in order to ensure that that thread carries through um, you know to the various versions. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, we have, we have shows like Kung Fu Panda. We have a, a Kung Fu Panda Dragon Night, which is going to uh, yes. come out next month. Um, you know, that, that production has a consultant that they bring in because you want to honor 
the culture that that storyline is is rooted in. It's all about you know Chinese culture and lore, and you you have to honor that. And and there's things that Absolutely. even me from a dubbing perspective, I I can't speak to some of that. You know, I can mm. I take so many of my cues from our local partners on the ground, and I really yes. rely on them to be the experts of their culture and their language. Um, so I I I applaud our our productions for for bringing in consultants in that way. And that's just one, you know, just one production, but I know a lot of them do. I think where, where we can, you can expand that and where we have, and just to stay on Kung Fu Panda, for, for, for example, you know, we kind of act like a, as another branch of that, you know, consulting work, if you will, um, you know, where we, we partner with them and help them answer questions also about culture, but, but, but where you get into more of the nuances of the language and, you know, a lot of times they'll have a Mandarin, um, uh, Mandarin that's actually spoken in the show. And, you mm-hmm. know, these are U.S. actors because they're making the domestic version yes. and they're speaking Mandarin for the first time. And so, you know, they will sometimes have me actually go and have someone in the country record that line so they can actually yes. and give it to as a reference to the um uh, to the actors to make sure. And then they'll send that, that, that recording of the actor back to us to make sure that they are, you know, hitting the right accents and the right, you know, emphasizing the right aspects or parts of the word to make sure it's, a, it's, it's as authentic as it, as it needs to be, as it should be. And so I think that's ways that we are, you know, really partnering with them in that, in that way. Another example is, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I keep talking about Kung Fu Panda, but you got me thinking about, about great Poe. example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's, there's a scene where it's, it, it's rooted in the new year and, and, and yes. there's, there's text on screen about the new year. Well, how do you translate that? You know, yeah. you, do you call it happy new year? Do you say lunar new year? Do you say Chinese mm-hmm. new year? If you're truly mm-hmm. being authentic to that culture, but you also have to keep in mind, let's talk about the word of the day considerations. Um, yes. You have to keep in mind, like, where is that show going to play? It's going to play outside of China. It's going to play. You want yes. it to play globally. You want it to reach as large, large of an audience as you can. So you've got to kind of strike that balance to say, you know, what, how do I translate that? What words do you actually show up on screen? Because that makes a really big, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity, especially when it comes to how you, oh, excuse me, my phone's going up. Um, there's a lot of sensitivities to even how you say happy new year. And so yes. um, there, there's no, there's sometimes no simple answer, but as long as you approach it from a level of trying to respect each of the cultures you're mm-hmm. localizing it for, there's always a solution in there. I agree. Um yeah, I think, you know, again, in my context, I see a lot of that. And I think the role of the consultant, the, you know, from a language and culture perspective is absolutely critical. And it just ensures that the audiences across the world, you know, that they're watching, that they're getting the most out of that original, you know, the authenticity that, that was originally intended. Um, now let's go back to songs. Oh, too many, too to. few. <laughs> Are, are you asking is are you asking can there be too many songs well you'll have to talk to my musical director about that when he has a deadline but i mean for me you know there can never be too many oh my goodness um it's a that is a tough question because it's and it's tricky let's put it that way um it's costly as well it's costly and i think the thing that i not wrestle with, but I think that the, a lot of the conversations I have when it, when it, when it comes to working with filmmakers and talking about songs specifically is, 
And again, it's, it's so challenging because you don't want the tail to wag the dog. I don't want to sit there and say, you can't put another song in given episode, but at the same time, I have to communicate to them. The more songs you put in there, sometimes you're making it so costly to dub that the sales teams that are in charge of selling this show internationally, once it's finished, it's going to be hard for them to sell it because they're, they're not going to be able to get a license fee. That's going to make sense with the cost of, you know, that client having to dub all the songs. And so where's that line? The, the problem is that line is going to be different for every single, you know, uh, country and territory you're localizing mm-hmm. it for. And so, you know, different countries have different licensing fees for types of broadcast deals and the like. So um, it's not as simple as saying as a formula that says like, here's the perfect amount of songs you can put in there. And this will give us the best opportunity to, to sell it and to get the most mm-hmm. deals and get the widest audience possible. Um, so I, I think it just comes back to, again, those considerations where just being really thoughtful to say like, Hey, does this, does this song really drive this story point here? Is this really needed? Or maybe a better question is if the answer to that is yes, does this song need to be a chorus with every single person in the cast singing or can it just be a single character singing or maybe, (laughs) maybe a duet, you know Um, you know, that these are like types of conversations that we like to work with filmmakers on because, and again, we approach it from the standpoint of, we don't want to tell you what you should or shouldn't do or what you can or can't do, but we have to let you know some of the realities of what it means to actually localize this and the impact to, to a broadcast client and, and, whether that deal actually goes through or not. Essentially it's balancing the creative with the business sense. Yeah. And and I, and I, 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 you know, I went to a film school. I'm like an artist at heart. It's like that part of me, just like, I hate that, but it's just the realities and we have to think in those terms. And um, that's just the nature of our business. Absolutely. Um, Scott, I'm very aware of the fact that we're rapidly running out of time. Um, I think, could you summarize for us the three key things I mean, for me, what I've taken out of it, we've spoken a lot about collaboration and consideration, and I think that that's so important. And we last kind of, you know, touching on on balancing creativity with business. How would you summarize the three key things that filmmakers should be aware of um, in order to give their their, their creative, um, you know, what they've created the best shot at the most audiences around the world and the most number of languages seeing what they've created? That is an excellent question. And I don't have an answer off the top of my head. It's trying to, uh, um, trying to prior, I'm like trying to prioritize them all in my mind right now as, uh, as I'm processing this. Um, the word respect keeps coming to, coming to mind. You know, you're trying yeah. to respect the cultures that, in, and the, the the scope that you want your your show to to expand into to reach, um, you know, not to get into the nuances of of examples again, but you know, even down to jokes that you that you put into your your show, it's Ooh, like if you if point. you put if you put too many, and again, let's I work for an American company, we're making you know U.S. you know uh, a lot of our partners are. Are, are the shows being made for a U.S. audience first and foremost, and then it gets it grows from there. Um, you know, if you're a U.S. filmmaker and American mm. filmmaker, and you're putting all these American U.S. type jokes and pop culture references and whatnot into your show, you've got to keep in mind that 
that doesn't play internationally. And, and we're going to have to adapt that sometimes very creatively to find a way to make that joke authentic to the, the country where it is going to play. And, mm-hmm. and that's easier said than done because of all the limitations with timing and lip sync and things we talked about. So it's just those considerations of making sure you're, you're aware of how, you know, who you're making this show for. And you, and I, I think probably like it all kind of comes down to that. If I could just pick one, maybe that's the best way to, to answer this question, which, which is don't think about your show for one audience. You've got to think about it with a, with the aspect of a global audience. And there's so many times we sit down with filmmakers and we, we rattle off all the languages we're going to localize this into. And, and, and we talk about the challenges and why we're asking some of these questions and, and why we're trying to get to the root of some yeah. of these, these, these uh, you know, these creative decisions. And there, there are a lot of times they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And so just yeah. being able to think about your product in a global way, I think solves you know, over half of the problems that you're going to run into. And it's just, it's just approaching it with that mindset. If you do nothing else, approach your creative decisions with a global mindset and you're, you're off to a fantastic start. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thank you as well. This is a lot of fun. Join us next time when we share more stories about elevating the art and science of global storytelling.